welcome ladies and gentlemen. This is the Fishing for Men with Mac show. Hi there everybody, it is the middle of March and it is so exciting for me to present to you another uh, talk on spiritual things and specifically related to fishing for men. I was hoping that as the podcast progresses that I will get to talk about some of the real encounters that we make with people of various backgrounds and some of the arguments that come with it and some of the things that people wrestle with on this faith journey. And today will be just one of those shows because I had an encounter with with somebody recently and I thought, in actual fact, I had it yesterday. I thought, I'm going to do a podcast on this and, and talk about it. And it's, and it's about an elderly man who has never in his life believed in Jesus, his whole life, who at this moment, as we're talking, is busy reconsidering his views. He's busy reconsidering the possibility that God actually exists. Now, I'd like to tell you about him today and, and some of the conversations that we have had and, and what it is that got him up to this point where he's reconsidering his atheistic views. So I'm just going to call him C., um, let's call him Mr. C. Um, and I'm just going to tell you how I, how I met him. So um, he's an oldest gentleman. He's about 60 something years old. Uh, his wife died a few years ago. And, and since then, his life has just been very hard. In actual fact, when you have a conversation with him, you can see, you know, he's, he's wrestling a bit. He's struggling to make ends meet. He's not financially very well off. But yet he's a very sharp person. He's, he's got a very clever mind and he's he's often indicated to me that he really believes in philosophy and so his worldview has really been shaped through philosophy he's he's no fool when it comes to his work um he's a sculptor and that means that takes some serious talent and and he does various other handyman jobs with with ease so he's come to church a few times and and you know I've greeted him a few times and had some nice conversations with him. I'm always interested in in new people. Um, but one day we had an opportunity to talk a little bit more and I I asked him why he's at church and how he ended up there. And so he, he told me that he was um he, you know he doesn't really believe in God and and st- things like that. But something happened that made him come to church. And I said, well, obviously that's interesting for me. I'd like to hear about that. And so he told me that he was doing some some work. And, um, he, you know, he's a handyman, goes to people's homes and things like that. And and then he met this gentleman. Let's call him Mr. Al. And Mr. Al just, you know, reached out to him in a very special way. And they they started chatting and, and building sort of a relationship. And, and one day he got stuck. I can't remember what it was, whether the battery in his car was flat or his car had broken down or something. And so he decided that he's going to contact um, Mr. L. And so it shows me that he didn't really have lots of other people in his life to help him. And, and Mr. L then said, all right, I'm going to let me come and help you. And he helped him to an extent that, you know, normal people would think it's strange. He loved him. He loved Mr. C like he's never been loved before. And so this relationship that he started building with this man and this type of character that this man displayed made him like really ask, well, why are you so different? So eventually Mr. L invited him to church. And the key reason why Mr. C said, yes, okay, I'll go with you to church is not because he believed in Jesus, but because for the first time in his life, he had met a person that was so different that he thought if God is a person, it might just be this guy. It might just be Mr. L. If God looks anything as good as people say, then maybe this person would be good. And so so what I've learned so far in this story with Mr. C is that a Christian is sometimes the only picture of God that people see. 
you, as you sit there, you listen to this, there are people in your life and you will be the only picture of God that they would see. So that tells us that we've got to represent God well. We've got to represent Him well. We live in a world where people are deprived of love. If we live in love and show it to everybody around us in all contexts, we will make such a big difference in people's lives. And if and if Mr. C was here now with me having this podcast, I wish he could be here, um, he would say the same. He would be able to explain to us just the, the powerful impact that good um, role models or good examples of God makes in our lives. And so Mr. C then came to one of my Bible studies sometime back and he told the story to the class about why he came to to the, the church and how this person has made such a big difference in his life, etc. And he, and he was in tears because it, this person literally changed his life. And uh, that was quite that was quite a tearful session. And it was powerful for the people in my class because they, they had the opportunity to see, oh my goodness, look, look how easily I can be a good example to people and, and be a representative of God. Anyways, so yesterday he attended my class again for the second time. But after the class, I gave everyone some time to stay and chat a little bit further if they wanted. Because sometimes there's some questions that people have and then we can take the questions further. Lo and behold, guess who stayed behind? Mr. C stayed behind. And we had a wonderful conversation uh, that uh, took a lot of time, uh, maybe an hour or so. Our conversation revolved basically around three things. And I want to share with you these conversations. I wish you could be there in that conversation because there are many people that you know who have the same struggles as Mr. C. So we spoke first a a little bit about philosophy, and I'm not going to make this boring for us. Now, I knew that Mr. C had a lot of respect for philosophy, and if you meet people who respect certain things, try to talk to them in in the world where they are at, you know. So he said to me that Christianity is not real to him. It's not real. I mean, God is invisible. I mean, I haven't touched Jesus. It's not real to me. What are you guys going on about? And so I thought, okay, let's talk. Let's not talk about the Bible, okay? Because, you know, you believe in philosophy. You don't yet believe in the Bible. So let's talk about philosophy. Let's God. Let's even leave God out of it for a moment. And let's talk about life philosophically because life is real. So I asked him the four questions that every human being in this world, regardless of their faith, regardless of their skin color, regardless of their wealth, needs to be able to answer. If you live on the planet, then you've got a worldview. And your worldview is shaped by four key questions, whether you believe in God or not. So here's the question. Remember the first one is origin. Where do you come from? And he took out a piece of paper and he quickly started writing this down. I said, you need to go think about these questions. All right? Because they are real. Origin. You came from somewhere. You are here now. So that's a real question, a real issue you have to resolve. Where did you come from? Secondly, meaning. What's the purpose of your life? That's a question that you ask yourself, I'm sure. Thirdly, morality. How do you determine what's good or wrong, good or bad, right or wrong, right? And lastly, is it destiny? Where are you going when you die? Where are you going? And we spoke about the fact that every rational person needs to deal with these questions. Now, I don't know exactly what was going on in his mind. All I know is that it's specifically the destiny one. He was wrestling a little bit with that. So he wrote down the questions and he said to me, he doesn't have answers for all these. He doesn't have a complete worldview. I then proceeded to tell him that there's only one worldview that consistently and adequately answers all four of these questions. And it is the Christian faith. There's no other worldview that you can have that's going to answer these questions adequately. And if you're listening to this, let me guarantee you, you can go test it yourself. 
In terms of philosophy and worldviews, Mr. C could now start to see that his own current worldview does not fully include, that doesn't fully include God, has too many holes in it. All right. So rationally, his worldview wasn't making sense. So he said to me, yes, philosophically, he understands the problem, but God is still not real to him. So yes, in my mind, I understand Christianity is a good argument, but God is still not real to me. So I said to him, okay, so the last one is destiny, right? You said you're you're wrestling a little bit with that, okay? That refers to death, right? You're going to die. And I asked him, okay, so you want to talk about what's real. Let me ask you this question. Are you going to die? And obviously, yes, he's going to die. I said to him, within 15 years from now, unless you've got some serious Barocca or some serious vitamins, you, you will be one thing. It's called the dead, all right? Maybe 15 years, maybe 20 years. Maybe you're lucky you can live another 30 years. You're probably going to hit 100 then, okay? Death is real. Of course it's real. Death is real. It's reality. It's, it falls in the domain of stuff that we can't explain, that we can't remove, that we can't. It doesn't matter what pill you take. It doesn't matter what you drink. It doesn't matter how you go vegan or not, you're going to die. It doesn't matter how much money you have. It doesn't matter what God you worship. You're going to die. All right? You can't evade it. Where are you going? Ladies and gentlemen, there's only one faith. There's only one worldview. Okay? That deals with the greatest reality of our lives. There's only one. It's Christianity. Now, think about this. God that comes down to the earth, he takes on human flesh. Why? So that he can die. Because that's our biggest problem. Death. And then he dies. And then he raises from the dead. Why does he raise from the, rise from the dead? Because he's showing us. You will live again. Death is not the end. No other religion provides that. No other religion solves that issue. No other faith solves that issue. In actual fact, atheism is even worse. Atheism doesn't have an answer for death. Doesn't have an answer for what lies on the other side of death. We're not even talking about um, the meaning of life, etc., 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 etc. And so this is the conversation that we have. And I'm, I'm standing there and I'm hoping, I hope he's, he's starting to see this, that Christianity is real, just as death is real. Death is a real problem. It's, it's reality and there's only one answer for it. If you look at all the answers that there possibly could be, there's only one answer and it's Jesus Christ. And then we went into the area of theology. Then he, he specifically the, the nature of God, he, he then said to me, okay, so, but, but, but can you, I understand what you're saying, but can you please answer one thing for me since we're talking about life after death, etc., etc.? Um, what is the story about God punishing people for eternity? You know, this all-loving, wonderful God that sends people deliberately to suffering for eternity simply because they didn't believe in Him. Now, this obviously turned into a deep discussion, which I will, you know, I'm not going to spend too much time on it, but I'll just summarize in short to give you just the gist. And this is basically what I said to him, you know, God could have created a, a planet full of robots. People who have no choice but to worship him, right? People with no choice. But God didn't want that. He wanted people to choose to love him if they so desired. And so God gave every person in this world the free will to love God or not to love God. I mean, to be honest with you, I don't want a wife that's forced to love me. I want a wife that actually loves me because she wants to love me. The same with God. So he created beings with free will. He said, you could choose to love me or not to love me. All right. And so what did God do? He said, okay, I'm going to create you with the ability to love. And then what I'm going to do is I'm going to show you how much I love you. So he sent his son to the cross to die on the cross. 
to show us how he feels about us and what he's prepared to do so we can spend eternity with him. But the choice is ours. And in a nutshell, this is where heaven and hell comes in, right? If you don't want to know the God of love and spend eternity with him, God respects that because he has given you a choice. So at the end of the all, so the end, at the end of it all, sorry for fumbling there, when God ends the earth and delivers the final judgment, he will simply grant the wish of those who don't want to know him or to spend eternity with him. That's a simple, that is what hell is and that's what heaven is. You spend eternity with God or you spend eternity without God. God respects our choices. That's what hell is. It's eternal separation from God. You know, Mr. C really took on about this because he saw, he started to see the nature of God. Oh my goodness, God actually loves me. Oh my goodness, God actually gives me free will. He doesn't want to force me to have a relationship with him. He, he, he's inviting me to have a relationship with him because he loves me, but he's not going to force me. You see, nobody would respect a God who made a bunch of robots forcing them to love him. And then I quoted to him that, that great saying about C.S. Lewis who, who so nicely outlines this idea for us. He says, C.S. Lewis said there are two types of people in the world. Those who bend their knee and say, God, your will be done. And those who refuse to bend their knees in front of God. And then God says, your will be done. You see, in this world, you've got your own will. And this idea of going to hell, etc. I mean, that is, that is actually quite simple. If you don't want to spend eternity with God, God respects that. He says, your will be done. You can spend eternity without me. I give you that choice. And so the conversation continued. But this time he took the pen. And he tried to explain to me. I think he was trying to explain to me what it is that he's struggling with. And he asked me the question, how do you get understanding? Because what he's wrestling with is he's trying to understand the Christianity. He's trying to understand this Jesus thing, this God thing. And so he drew a triangle on the whiteboard in the classroom. Okay. And so this drawing is probably something about his, from his philosophical background, etc., etc. But I liked it and I learned from him. He said to me, in order to understand something, you need three ingredients that are represented by the tips of this triangle. And he, he wrote them down, the three. The one is affinity, the other one is communication, and the other one is reality. Now, I hope I understood him correctly, but let me explain how I, you know, how I got it from him and how I think it, it works. So in order for me to understand Christianity, I need to, first of all, plug myself into or come into contact with a group of people that sort of believes the same thing, a commonality, okay, a common idea, that is affinity. Secondly, I need some form of communication that reveals to me what Christianity is. So writings, I need writings that, that explain it to me. And then thirdly, I need Christianity to be real to me in my personal life. I need to have a personal encounter with God. And only if I have all three of those will I be able to um, understand Christianity. Otherwise, it's not going to make sense to me. Okay. Now, if, um, if I don't have those three things, I will never understand Christianity and, and what Jesus did on the cross. So if I reframe these three words or these three ideas and I put them into a Christian context, it would look something like this. Affinity equals church. We have a group of people that come together with the same mindset. Communication is the scriptures, the Bible. Um, when you read the scriptures and you are plugged into a church. And thirdly, you encounter Jesus, which is reality, a personal encounter with Jesus. Then Christianity would make sense to you. You need all three of those. All right. 
And as he explained this to me, I realized exactly according to his philosophical model why he was falling short in understanding faith and Jesus. He had come to church now. So he had an experience of affinity. He has met a group of people who are of the same mind. He, and, and, it, and it intrigues him, but he's only got the one corner of the triangle. Um, and it's helping him sort of understand, but he doesn't get it fully yet. Here's the second problem. He has not read God's communication. He has not, he has not sat down and read the scriptures for himself. Okay? And the second problem that he had, which is the third um, corner of the triangle, is that Jesus has not been real to him. And it's that problem, that personal encounter with Jesus, that I'd like to make the cherry on top of this podcast. And I want to ask the question, how do you get someone to realize Jesus is real? Maybe you are listening to this and asking yourself, how can Jesus be real to me? How can Jesus be tangible? He's not this fairy guy in the sky. How can I know undeniably that Jesus is a personal living savior to me? You see, I have been chatting to Mr. C intensely for more than an hour. We spoke about philosophical evidence that Jesus is the only way. We had spoken about the theological arguments that defend the nature of God. We've spoken about heaven and hell. We've basically defended God and given some good food for thought. But yet, still even through all the arguments, Jesus has not been real to him. And that's why sometimes you will find people that say, I understand what you say about God. I understand, I understand. But Jesus is not real to me personally. So I'd like to give an answer to that. And we're almost done. Um, And it really struck me because it's such a real living example. I heard this wonderful way of explaining this issue at hand about Jesus becoming real. And it's about skepticism. I want to play you a clip by John Lennox in one of his debates, where he explains, I think, to Peter Atkins, this idea of commitment and skepticism. I'm going to play it to you, and then I'll explain it after the clip. The problem we have, especially in our contemporary culture, is the matter of commitment. You see, skepticism is a wonderful thing. The Greek word means to check out from a distance. And some of you will be checking out partners at a distance. But you know as well as I do, in order to have a meaningful relationship, you have to give up your distance. If you want to get to know me, sooner or later, you'll have to give up your distance and I'll have to give up my distance. But if we're sensible, we'll not do it without evidence. And so it's a question of that greatest commitment of all, as I believe it is, which is is to Christ. Making that step of commitment is for some people difficult, but it's in the end the only way to test if the thing works. I hope that you're getting a sense of where this is going. In very simple terms, if you want to know if Jesus is real, there's only one way that you can find out. It is like this. If you want to know what that beautiful chocolate cake tastes like, you'd have to do what? You have to. To take a bite. Jesus will not get real for you until you give him a chance. Until you make a commitment to him. Until you take a bite. You've got to close the distance between you and him. You have to say, alright, I'm going to give you my life. Do it. Do it. 
and give them a chance, then you will taste it. Isn't that what John Lennox said? If you want to test whether Christianity is real, get it and try it for real. Only then will Jesus become real to you. And this is what I explained to Mr. C. And he got it. He got it. He said, okay, I get what you're saying. So I must take the dive. I must give my life over. Only then will I experience Jesus being real to me. Now, as we were talking, oh, sorry, walking to the car and talking, he told me about some of the things that he was wrestling with. Struggling to make ends meet. It is always such a hard position for me to be in, you know, because you want to help. In the past, I used to do everything I can to help. I'll take out my last bucks and give it to this person because I want him to know Christ. And here's an opportunity to be Jesus to him. And so I was wrestling with this thought in my mind. I should make a plan to try and help him. Maybe I can get some money for him. Maybe I can drop some food off for him. And that is what I used to do. And, but the problem with that is, is that people then would thank me because I saved them. But it wasn't God that saved them. It was me, a person. And so that faith in God never develops. So they fall in love with God's people, but they never fall in love with God. So I decided I'm going to give this man over to God. We prayed and we gave him over to God. Let God show himself to this man. And so we prayed and we went our separate ways. Yesterday afternoon, about five hours later, he phoned me. He said to me that after he left there, he went to the shop just up the road. He took a chance, went to the ATM to just check if maybe there's any money in his account. And lo and behold, there was money in his account that he totally didn't expect. More than 1,800 Rand. It was an outstanding bill that people decided to pay just randomly. He said to me that he had went and bought some groceries. And then put some airtime on his phone. He went home. And he read the Bible the whole afternoon for the first time ever in his life. Obviously, he had airtime on his phone. That's why he could phone me. He's finally starting to understand that Christianity is real. You know why? Because in his heart, he took a decision to give God a chance after we had that conversation. Or maybe during the conversation. I don't know when, but he decided, look, I'm going to give Jesus a chance. He read the Bible. He spent time with Christians and now he had a personal encounter with God. I didn't give him that money. Nobody could have given him that money. That was preordained by God to build his faith. So sometimes we just got to let people taste for themselves. We can guide, give information. But until people don't go on their knees, read what God says, let them listen to God. People don't go on their knees and, and beg of the God of heaven to reveal themselves to, to them. We'll always just be creating Christian Christians and not disciples of Jesus.